Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining today. Very happy to have you. My guest is Mr. Andrew Freed. He's a real estate, a multifamily real estate investor out of Massachusetts, and he's amassed uh, 127 units in the last three years. So started out with some smaller stuff, and they still buy smaller multifamily, um, but he's got a 65 unit in the portfolio. And we just kind of dive in and talk shop on how he built the whole thing, systems, processes. We talk about why they like those smaller multifamily deals. You know, there's a lot of pros and cons to doing small deals versus versus big deals. There's no right or wrong answer. But um, we talk about syndications versus joint ventures. He's a fan of joint ventures. We kind of dive into why. Talk about being in masterminds. Spend some time talking about virtual assistants and how he's hiring and vetting virtual assistants. He's got a number of those on his team to keep things lean and mean. And uh, it was great. Just love talking to entrepreneurs that are that are doing things actually out there, making things happen. Andrew's one of them. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I did. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Andrew, it's great to see you. Welcome to the podcast, sir. How's everything going? Everything is going fantastic. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah. Glad to dive in and talk real estate here. Um, I know you got a trip to Peru next week, so appreciate you jumping on here. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit. How about for the audience here that hasn't met you, doesn't know what you're into? How about some background? And I always love to learn how people got the real estate bug. Okay. I'm happy to give you my origin story. So yes. <laughs> my real estate origin story goes back to COVID, you know, when more or less I ran out of vices to escape. I ran out of video games to play. I ran out of movies to watch. And I really had to come face to face with the reality that I was living in. And the reality I was living in was the fact that I was seeking the American dream, that I got a six-figure job in a nice, swanky uh, institution. I got a master's degree. I'm living in the city, right? I'm doing everything that we were told to do to be successful, but I didn't feel that way. You know, I looked at my net worth, and I realized my net worth at that point was 250000 200000 of which was in this one-bedroom condo I bought five years ago and I forgot about. It literally took me 10 years in the workforce to accumulate $50,000. Yeah. And I'm like, at this rate, there's absolutely no way I'm going to reach the time or even reach uh, financial independence. And that was more of an epiphany for me yep. um, when I, when I kind of realized that after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I decided to take action about three years ago. I took out a HELOC on my one-bedroom condo in Boston for around $200,000. And I used that to buy uh, multifamily. So I house hacked a couple properties. I JV'd 
um, some small three, four plexes, moved into five, six plexes. And then when I eventually ran out of my own money, that's when I started JVing and syndicating some larger deals. Uh, and three years later, I'm up to around 127 units. About 100, about, I don't know, about 100% of like 20, 25 units or so. So that's kind of my journey to getting into real estate and where I am today. I love it, man. I'm sure it's a very condensed version, but thank you. Uh, yeah, I had the same epiphany. The first rental house I did, I think it was like 30K in equity was kind of created overnight. And I was like, man, I could just go do 10 of those pretty easily. And I, that's stacking up equity a lot differently than my corporate job was, which is basically like six-figure corporate job is kind of just paying bills and maybe saving a no. little, but it wasn't stacking up like six-figure equity or a million dollars of equity. Mm -hmm. That was an epiphany for me too. A lot of us, right? I mean, that's why we kind no. of got, got in the game. Um, that's okay. 127 is a lot of units in three years. What What's the biggest deal in your portfolio? I guess just to give it some context. Biggest deal in my portfolio was a uh, 65 unit um, syndication I did in New Bedford, Massachusetts. It was across 12 different properties. Um, and yeah, we're currently operating that today, closing that on August. Um, and the plan with that particular deal is it's kind of like a hybrid approach between a flip and a buy and hold. And the, the reason for that is because we're planning on kind of selling the smaller stuff, like the four or five plexes to retail investors, getting our investors back their capital as quickly as possible, and then maximizing the larger properties and potentially refinancing or selling those down the road. But we're going to hold the larger properties, sell the smaller properties. So that's kind of the plan with that one. And that's, that is, yeah, that's my biggest, uh, biggest deal. Nice. Yeah. Like half the portfolio in one, in one transaction, right? Um, yep. That's pretty cool. How did you get educated? You know, there, it, real estate's not rocket science, but there's some stuff to learn? Was it mm -hmm. fire? Did you did business partners, mentors? What did that look like for you? So it, it was definitely a compounding approach, right? Like I first started my journey, like more or less doing the bigger pockets recipe, right? Like listening to bigger pockets podcast, you know, um, reading as many uh, books as, as possible, like doing the miracle morning. Like I started that route, right? And I got my first house hack. Uh, and then at that point, my learning kind of expanded into mentors. So I started attending meetups. I ended up finding my mentor. He was looking for somebody to help him start a meetup in Worcester, Massachusetts. And that's where I established my portfolio. Cool. So that's exactly what I did. I found a venue for him. I got him set up. He thought it, he thought I provided him so much value that he wanted me to host the meetup. And then at that point, I became an investor-focused agent on his team and providing value in the form of commissions. And at that point, he kind of took me under my wing, his wings. And, and, and my mentor owns like hundreds of units. He syndicated on seven, eight deals, like. He's, yeah, he's done a lot of things. So he kind of took me under my wing. And for this particular, that last deal I spoke about, the New Bedford deal, like he's a GP on it, right? So that's kind of, how, that was my progression in, in kind of learning in real estate. So Awesome, man. Love it. Yeah, mentors definitely cut down cycles, compressed timeframes, really like nothing else. There's a there's so much good free information out there, podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, and I definitely advocate that. But it's like a multi- wrong approach on your education. You know, you got to totally. read it. You got to listen to it. You got to do it. You got to watch yep. more people do it. The more angles you can have it coming from the better. Um, tell me about the market you're in in Massachusetts. You know, I'm in Texas and I just think, mm -hmm. I think, you know, snow and what's landlord law like, uh, it's just a different animal kind of, kind of in any market, but you know, what are some of the notables of the, of the market you're, you're working in? So 
I mean, landlord laws are definitely not fun in Massachusetts. I mean, I'm coming off a fresh wound. I literally just came from eviction court and they gave the tenant six months to stay there. <laughs> at the current rent, at least they're paying, but nonetheless, that hurts, right? Yeah, right. Um, right. But uh, Massachusetts, uh, my particular market, I specialize in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is the second largest city in Massachusetts. And what's fantastic about my particular market is 30 to 40% of the housing stock are multifamily, right? And, right. and in general, Massachusetts, they have a lot of old mill towns, right? Yeah. And with mill towns comes workforce housing. And with workforce housing comes multifamily, right? Yep. And that's exactly what, what Worcester is. So uh, I own about 30 units in Worcester. Um, Worcester is about 45 minutes from like five or six major metropolitan areas like Providence, Nashua, Boston, Hartford. Like it's right there. Um, and it, it has a, a plethora of schools and, and hospitals. Um, and I believe it's the fastest, one of the fastest growing cities in New England. So, you know, to, you know, I, being in Texas, you got a lot of population growth, you know, in up in the Northeast, like it's a little less population growth. However, there are like tertiary markets or sub markets that are expanding rapidly. And there's other markets that are not expanding rapidly. And I would definitely describe Worcester uh, as expanding pretty rapidly. Yeah, that's great, man. Love it. Big, big. Uh, and you live there, right? You live in, in Worcester or close by? I, I live in Worcester. I'm an investor focused agent in Worcester. I host a meetup here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I live in one of my house hacks. So, yep, I, I'm fully vested for sure. I actually, and to your point, I actually like, I used to live in Boston. Okay. I like knew nobody out in Worcester. I had no friends out here. I literally moved out here to buy a multifamily. Love it, man. Making it freaking happen, right? Making it happen. Yeah. Doing the things that others are not willing to do. That's the difference. Uh, and, and we get the benefit in the fact that we get to retire way, way sooner than everybody else, right? <laughs> yes. And then the dark realization that retirement is not what you want to do. Right. I don't know if you've gotten to that point, but uh, sitting around doing nothing is not where it's at. <laughs> no, totally. However, it is, it is uh, relieving to, to work on what you want to work on, right. To Absolutely. expand your own. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's the liberating thing for me is like, I've built so many businesses now that I, I have so many things I could work on outside of my W2, which I currently have. Yeah, I still have my W two today. Um, so yeah, I mean, but, but real estate's a blast. I I can't imagine even with retirement, I can't imagine stop stopping real estate. It is it is a blast, man. It's fun and it's it's uh, mm -hmm. there's just there's just so much to it aside from you know kind of the the money side of it. Just doing things, improving things. It's real. It's tangible. I mean, you, we could both go on and on. Um, it, it's like you're playing a giant monopoly game in real life. You know, and and I love Monopoly. Monopoly that was my absolute favorite game. So I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll do I'll do this all day. Yeah. Is it true? I heard this, and I have no idea if it's true that Monopoly was created to uh, put on display the evils of capitalism, and then it turned into like this wildly popular game. I I'd heard that that it was supposed to be like a negative thing that that would uh, deride landlords and and things like that. I don't know if that's true. Um, yeah, but Monopoly is a fun game. I remember thinking this is years ago. I bought three rental houses and I was driving down the highway and I was like, I feel like the king of this city. I own three houses I don't even live in, you know. And now I have like thousands of units, and I'm like, I feel I feel less that way. It's kind of normalized, just kind of funny. But it's a fun game. Pretty much anybody can play it. You know, there's ways to get into this game. And and um, gosh, three years to 127 units, man. That's that's an awesome testament. Why? Look, there's a lot of people listening, a lot of people reading books or listening to Bigger po Pockets, whatever, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that 
that want want 10 doors or 100 doors they don't mm -hmm. have what do you think that the deciding you know the differentiator is with with you you know that's been able to kind of do that in three years i think uh the main differentiator is the fact that i skew towards action and away from perfection and I skew towards taking action, imperfect action, and iterating and fixing it along the way. And just, you know, maybe two, three years later, I perfect the process, right? Maybe it's not perfect initially, but I'm actually moving, you know, moving the dial forward. Like, that's that's one of the main reasons that I've been able to scale so quickly. The other reason, I, I think, is the fact that I see um, long-term benefit more than other people, right? Like mm. a lot of people, they, you know, they see the short-term gain and they don't, they don't think like sometimes when you take the short-term game, you're giving up, you're giving up the long-term benefit, right? Like just give me, I'll give you a quick example. Like say a deal goes sour, right? You could not fulfill your obligations to your investor or you could, right? If you fulfill your obligations to your investor, you might lose money in the short term, term but in the long term when you have get more deals they might invest in 10 other deals with you yeah. right so a lot of people take that short-term gain and don't really fully understand or acknowledge the long-term benefit in decision making uh, especially being a landlord you know especially in like massachusetts where a lot of times i have to work with tenants i have to get in cash for keys to get them out you yeah. know and some landlords would be like that'd be against their principle to do that but for me it's a business decision it's roi you know um so i don't know i went a little tangent there but yeah oh, i love it man a bias towards action, that's huge. I, that's something I fight is that perfectionism. I've been trying to kind of with writing my goals down for this year, I kind of have this concept that, you know, if I have a seven out of 10 day and I can string 30 or 50 or a hundred of those together in a row, that's going to be better than trying to have 10 out of 10 days. And I was really wrapping my head around, banging my head against the wall, trying to have these 10 out of 10 days. And it's like, it's just not going to happen, you know? people are, there's going to be issues. People are going to misunderstand something and it's constant issues, but a seven out of 10, man, that's pretty good. We get it done and then do it again tomorrow and have the, this consistency over time. Um, and letting go of that perfection that really resonates, resonates with me and get out there and, and ship the product and iterate. I, I love that. I love that message. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, action is the key to success and, uh, a lot of people they overthink problems and i i think the main the main reason that people like you and i accumulate these amount of units is because we um sorry i lost my train of thought let's just skip that one yeah no that's fine that's <laughs> fine um so let's talk about some tactical stuff you know i always love to kind of hear um, how people are doing this. I, you know, I, I remember my first rental house I got, I think Buildium was a software. I think they're actually based out of Boston. Um, grew some, some accounting framework and some units there. And then, and then now kind of today we've got, um, you know, uh, own the management company and that kind of runs yep. with a team. Mm -hmm. Are you, um, what are you doing for management? What are you doing for software? Like some of the, you know, nitty gritty tactical day-to-day -day stuff. What does that look like for your operation? So the way it looks like for my operation is I have a young kid that acts as my PM uh, and takes tenant inquiries uh, yep. and deals with contractors and uh, fixes and things like that. And I more manage the money and deal with the paperwork behind the scenes yep. um, for the properties that I self-manage. For the larger property, we, we hire third-party pro third property managers uh, and we more, more or less uh, play an asset manager role where we yep. just meet with them every week or every two weeks you know, ensure like our business plan is moving forward in accordance with how we want it to. And if it isn't, we will step in and take action to ensure it does happen. If that means we have to do things to make it happen, we will. Um, 
So that's kind of like how I do property management. Um, always, you always got to have like systems. So one of my big systems is having like electronic uh, Rolodex for all the contractors or vendors I have in a specific area. So if I, so if anybody needs to step in my shoes, they have all the team members uh, ready to go. Rent collection, I do apartments.com. Um, I get all of my tenants on apartments.com. I do not accept payment otherwise. It's cool. just way easier for rent collection. Um, and then I have three virtual assistants. I have a bookkeeper that reconciles my books monthly and provides me updated balance sheets and profit and loss statements, which is imperative with the amount of units you and I buy. Like you're getting, you got to give this to a lender every single week, right? <laughs> um, you know, I have a virtual assistant. Actually, they're an executive assistant. They help manage my email and help me, you know, manage my CRM and investor relations. And if, you know, if any of my investors need any um, materials, they will send that out. And then I have a social media virtual assistant that helps me put out all of my social media content, which has been instrumental to, to my growth. I mean, just the fact that I've, um, you know, I put out social media content, I go on podcasts, like I build a certain level of likability and trust with people who want to invest in me or people who want to bring me deals without me even having to be there in person. Like people could listen to 10 hours of me, learn to like and trust me without even me even meeting them, right? So yeah. it really like, it really uh, exponentially grows uh, your presence in the real estate market. Yeah, it's wild. Some of these leveraged relationship building tools we have like this one here that we're on. So um, yep. that's totally. yeah, pretty, pretty cool to be able to do that. Well, thank you for kind of diving into some of the details there. I know- People are always curious about that, and, and I'm always curious about it. How are you finding your VAs? Uh, you feel like you got that system baked, or is it is still? Oh, yeah. No, I feel I feel pretty good about my system. I, I'm like I'm three for three right now, uh, and the way I really do it is I hire them um, on onlinejobs.ph, which specializes in the Philippines. Yep. Um, and then usually pay out pay out their range between five and eight dollars per hour. Um, and the way I do it is I you know, I think virtual assistant industry is like the this first or the second largest industry in the Philippines. So they have so much talent. So yeah. when you put a job on this website, you literally get 100 to 200 applications. So I whittle it down to around five or six people. I have an in-person interview over the over Zoom. And then at that point, I, I give them all pr a project based off their expertise, be it social media, be it bookkeeping, be it being an executive assistant. And I give them all the same project. And I'm cool with paying them you know, $10 to $15 to do that project. And then I get it back. I compare apples to apples. And I usually hire based on the quality of the work. Um, that's how I've done it in the past. And it's it's been very successful. I've retained all of my virtual assistants who've been with me for uh, over a year at this point. I really like that system. That's awesome. Uh, like I like assigning a project. We've had virtual assistants over the years on and off. I don't, we don't have any right now, but... Um, Awesome. Another leverage point, right? You're leveraging social media podcasts. You're leveraging global talent. I've heard, I've never been to the Philippines, but I've heard like when the sun goes down in the Philippines, like the streets just fill up and it's everybody going to work at Dell and Microsoft and shops like yours, right? Like they just work us hours and that's, that's how it is over there. Cause to make uh, $8 an hour USD over there is like a sweet job apparently. So interesting culturally how that's that's worked out and um i think you know it puts a little pressure on the american worker that's like hey i can't just kind of like coast through my job because if i'm if i'm doing a what i would call like a level one to four complexity job you know out of 10 you know you're not hiring your vas for nine out of 10 complexity tasks but one to four all day long so it, it kind of puts american workers on notice 
that you, you know, you got global competition now, which I think is great. What, you know, I would say one to seven. I mean, I literally have VAs do my slide decks, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, awesome. and, and most VAs, like a lot of them speak two or three languages and have like masters and like, no yeah. offense, but most of them are smarter than Americans. Sure. <laughs> yep. So um, I, I think that's a completely untapped resource among many entrepreneurs. Um, and I think like, you know, if you're trying to gain back your time, the only way to do it is with virtual assistants. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's great, man. Um, what kind of assets are you looking at now? We're talking in January of 2024. Mm -hmm. Interesting year last year with rates and all this kind of stuff. Um, what What do you want to do more of this year? What, what are you looking at? So my goal this year is to acquire 100 units. Um, and I'm primarily looking at anything multifamily, yeah. be it five to a hundred units, right? Um, I really like the smaller stuff because it was a way easier to join venture um, and to take down with two or three investors. Um, and those smaller properties are really easy to stabilize compared to the larger properties. Like I could stabilize a small, you know, five, 10 plex in three, four months versus yeah. one of these larger portfolios, which might take a, you know, a year, year and a half uh, to stabilize, right? Um, so that's kind of, and, and, you know, for the larger stuff, if, if we run across any probably 50 plus unit deals at that point, we'd probably consider syndicating it. Um, it, it all depends on the deal, right? It all depends on the deal size. Uh, cause at a certain point, you know, there's a certain level of sunk costs associated with syndications. Um, and I think people really have to take that into, into account with determining what tool works best for you. Um, and the, right. the added the added complexity of the syndications, which not many people talk about, is it's a lot more time consuming because you have way more aspects that you have to manage. You're essentially managing, it's a venture capital firm, right? So you got an investor relations office, like you got to um, provide, you know, communication to the investors. You got to, you know, it's a lot more legal paperwork uh, involved. You got to cr create a business plan with a slide deck, right? It's way more um, administrative work upfront. Um, in that regard. Um, so, you know, it, if, if there are two or three GPs in the deal, it makes total sense. If you split in seven, eight ways, a lot of times it makes sense to JV and something smaller uh, from a net worth perspective. Yeah, no doubt. And then your attorney fees, you know, your syndication attorney fees, 15 to 50 grand, you know, yep. when that range. Yeah. Thing. So you're doing a half a million dollar deal, million dollar deal at that end pencil. What, uh, walk through JV, you know, how do you guys, um, what does that usually look like for a structure on a JV for a deal you do? So it all comes down to getting the investors their desired return, right? So, you know, we want to get our investors at least like a, you know, a, a nine, 10% uh, return on their money. Yeah. Um, so it depends on the cash flow of the deal, right? So for example, we're doing a, um, we're doing 11 units out in North Adams, which is far, far Western Mass, right? We're yeah. getting them, we're getting them for around $62,000 a unit. So um, they rent for upwards of 11, $1,200. Uh, the CapEx in the building is very good. And we budgeted primarily 150,000, mostly for cosmetic upgrade, right? So, you know, more or less the cash flow in that, that the property is probably upwards of 15, 16, 17% cash from cash return, right? In that particular case, we'll bring an investor on and probably do a 50-50 split, nice. right? But, you know, with another sort of opportunity where, you know, it might be in Worcester, Mass, where units trade for, you know, 150 to 200,000, we might offer, you know, a certain prep um, and then maybe a 60, 40 or 70, 30 split, depending on, um, depending on the, the return for our investors. I do want to, I do want to, um, 
specify that for JV deals, your other partner has to be active, right? So if you are going to do a JV deal, you cannot have a passive investor. You have to give them some sort of active role. And right. the active role that we like to give them is, you know, quarterly meetings to go over the deal, to go over next steps, to go over the stabilization plan. Uh, but like, just be careful with JVing, just taking money and, and the other person doing absolutely nothing. That that technically is a syndication. Right. And I don't think we're attorneys, but that is good, uh, good something to run by your attorney. And maybe those quarterly meetings are in, in Las Vegas, right? That's okay. Yeah. But, yeah. And then, then thank you. I am not an attorney. Thank you for clarifying. I appreciate that. <laughs> So I, don't think, I don't think we're pinched for, for not, <laughs> but anyway, just throwing that out there for people. But yeah, I, th I totally agree. The JV model for smaller deals um, is, is the way to go is the way to go. And yeah, there's to, to go turn, you know, four units in a fourplex or eight units. That's like, it's so easy to do it's so quick. You got your contractor, you got your team. You can immediately see that ROI. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a hundred percent of the property renovated. A lot of, um, a lot of pros to that, right? Mm -hmm. um, how about, okay, let's, so we talked a little bit about the the equity side, right? You're syndicating from investors or, or you're doing a JV. How about the debt side? What What is on these types of assets? You go in local bank, are you using a loan broker? Is it, is it, uh, you know, shop? Are you, are you calling 20 banks or your virtual assistants doing that? How are you sourcing the debt? Are, uh, probably the biggest capital, you know, the biggest check that gets written on these things, right? Absolutely. So we primarily work with small local credit unions and banks. They right. offer us by far uh, the best debt. And, you know, we more or less, the way I normally do debt is I, I normally seek it out. I'll create a loan request package normally for every deal I do. That'll have the, the rent roll, the profit and loss statement, the terms we're looking for, pictures, essentially everything about the deal that the lender is looking for. Um, and then I'll shoot it out to my probably 10, sorry, 10 or 15 um, go to lenders and I'll have them kind of battle against each other until I find the best product for us. Um, and the great thing that I, I really enjoy about commercial versus residential is like all the terms are super negotiable. Like you can negotiate interest only period. You can negotiate construction money. You can even negotiate the amortization schedule, right? Yep. <laughs> like, um, so we really do, um, take that into account in our, in our business plan. Cause like, say for example, if we're planning on, you know, refining in year one or year two, we're going to focus on a small local credit union that doesn't have a prepayment penalty. Exactly. So a lot, of, a lot of small local credit unions actually against their charter to have a prepayment penalty, right? Sure. So it's like, you know, depending on the business plan, we'll align, we'll align the, you know, the terms. Yeah, there's so much variability there. And um, I'm, I'm always amazed how much different some of the terms that come back are. What's important to one bank is not important to another. Um but yeah, once you build your little stable of lenders there, you can you can get good things done. And are you guys taking on full recourse with those loans? We are taking on full recourse, yes. Yeah, it's yes. just the trade-off there. But if you believe in the deal um, and they're smaller deals, that's that's great. Yeah, I'm fine with recourse on some stuff too that's that's smaller that I you know own and directly control and believe in the deal. You know, that's fine. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, just be well insured, you know, just get a get a good amount of liability coverage on your insurance, you know, um, because I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, uh, you know, I would rather keep an asset, uh, keep an asset and file a claim than lose an asset, you know, give it up to the LLC and let somebody else take it. I'd rather be with, I'd rather be overly insured versus like very specific asset protection in the form of like many different LLCs, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. Just get the insurance and hopefully you've got coverage where they're 
they're going to write a, write a check for it. Um, that's good. So being an entrepreneur, you know, it's a, it's a different lifestyle. I know you have a W2, but how do you structure your, your day, your week, your month for, you know, a lot of exciting hard work that it is a lot of crazy highs and crazy lows. And how do you kind of maintain your, your sanity through, through being an entrepreneur, which is, which is different than a lot of other paths. The real game changer for me has been uh, masterminds and living with intention and setting clear and concise one-year goal, five-year goal, 10-year goals, right? Yeah. And I achieved this through, I'm part of a couple different masterminds where I meet with four or five people on a weekly basis. We yeah. go over our highs, our lows, our goals, and uh, our goals. Part of uh, GoBundance as well, which is a, you know, a national mastermind. And in there, we we kind of like, we grade ourselves not only on professional, how well we're doing professionally, but we also grade ourselves on how well we're doing uh, personally and, and with our family and things like that. So it really puts it in perspective. I'm like, you know, if I'm if I'm too skewed towards business, maybe it's time to skew more towards family, to skew more towards travel, to skew more towards fun. Because at the end of the day, you know, me and you could be the richest people in the world, but if we're miserable, what's the point? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, you got to have the balance, right? And money's great, yeah. and money creates so much optionality, and it's worth pursuing. Um, but you, yeah, there's there's other components you have to balance out, and it's tough. I think uh, those of us that are wired to be crazy enough to be entrepreneurs can can go off the deep end, focusing on work. It's so easy to do, right? Just kind of get lost, yeah. and, and sometimes outright necessary, right? I mean, there might be periods mm -hmm. in an entrepreneur where you're just gonna grind around the clock for however long it takes, you know, it's, that's just the reality of it sometimes. So, but uh, yeah, masterminds have been instrumental for me to um, always recommend that for, for folks. And then it's cool hanging out with people that kind of already have the same yeah. operating system framework where you can just kind of cut through so much stuff and understand, God, the people in this room already think and see things in a similar way that I do in, in so many facets of life that we can just kind of immediately to get to the, to the good stuff, uh, which is we're social, social creatures. So it's imperative. If you don't have that network to plug into, you, you got to do it. You're going to mimic your, your peer group, whether it's good or bad. You're absolutely right. And I mean, I strive for being the dumbest in the room, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah. I mean, I'm all for helping new investors, you know, and helping people ascend, send the ladder but at a certain point like i want to be the small fish in the room like yeah. i want to feel insignificant because then i have so much to grow so much fun i can really like ruminate and sit in that uncomfortability to really get that growth right like um so i think it's very important to um um to really um What are we talking about? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, just um, talking about being in that room with with other. Yeah. So yeah. So I truly, I truly, yeah. I so to your point, I truly value being the smallest person in the room. It's it's, it's honestly a gift, in my opinion. So yeah. You gotta right. be you gotta be a to cut this right. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. <laughs> sorry. I don't know. I, it's, yeah. Sorry. I'm I'm like checked out because of Peru. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We're talking about Peru. What's going? I would on? love to talk I about, about Peru. This. I want to hear about this, man. You going? You going tomorrow? Today's Thursday. You're going tomorrow? You're going Friday, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to Peru. Gonna lose all technology. Not gonna have my phone. Love not it. gonna have internet. So it's that's the most that's the scariest thing to me. Uh, and I'm gonna go in the rainforest. I'm gonna we're gonna camp out there for a week. So that's awesome. 
Uh, is this a bit a major test of your team and your systems, or have you been trying like a day here and there? Yeah, to your point, I think this will be a major test, right? And if this is successful, then you know this is this is full go for me to start traveling way more, right? So, like if I can, so like yeah, I think to your point, I think this is a a test. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, look, I, there's no better way to let your team build uh, autonomy than to leave them alone. So. I'm I'm pulling for you. I hope it goes as it should. I'm sure, you know, there'll be some, some lessons learned, I'm sure. But, you know, getting to that point where you can let them run it is huge, right? It's better for the business too. You can have a, you can have a better business. You know, I, I know we don't really build our real estate companies to sell them, but a company that is not reliant on the founder to run is way more valuable, right? So that's the, that's the goal is to build that out. So it sounds like major step in that direction for you, starting tomorrow um we can we can wrap it up there andrew i know you got big travel plans i appreciate you sharing your story and what you've been up to i would love to kind of come check in with you in like another year and just see you know you built a lot in, in three years and i, I want to kind of stay in touch and follow the journey if somebody listening wants to connect with you where do we send them you can find me on Instagram at Investor Free. That's definitely the best place to find me. I always put out free and valuable content, primarily focused on multifamily investing. Um, you know, some of the small, some more aimed towards some of the smaller deals, intermediate investors. So if you're interested in learning a ton, I think I have something like 80 investor tips out there on Instagram. Nice. So a ton of value. I'm going to throw a follow on IG right now, Investor Free. Um, you guys do the same that are listening. We'll also link to that in the show notes. Andrew, it's been a pleasure. Man, I, I love hearing your story and wish you continued success. Let's do it again soon. And uh, if you ever get down to San Antonio, let me know. Sounds good. Thank you very much. And I'm uh, eternally grateful for you having me on the podcast. Thank you. Awesome, man. It's good catching up. We'll see you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.